back to something that happened, uh, oh, it seems like an age ago, uh, our kids' camp uh, that we held here um, two weeks ago. And last week, I acknowledged uh, all the helpers and the teachers, uh, and there was one person who wasn't here, and she's here today, and so I want to acknowledge her. So, Sophie, why don't you come up, and uh, I just want to acknowledge you. Sophie uh, was fabulous with the kids. She looked, um, what did you do with the kids? You did dancing with the kids. You did singing with the kids. You did drama with the kids. Come here. Because this person here has many, many, many talents that are hidden. But no more. (laughs) Ivan said to me, you are just scratching the surface with Sophie's talents. So I've got a whole list of things in my office that, uh, that anyway, but uh, <laughs> thank, <laughs> but thank you for all you did. You were wonderful. I hope you had a great time with the kids as well. And um, yeah, so thank you very much. Just a little gift. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's see who else I can embarrass this morning. All right. Uh, so, who who can remember a time when there were no cell phones, no computers? Hang on. Wait for it. No World Wide Web. No email, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. If you remember a time like that, can you put up your hands? We are the dinosaurs, gentlemen and ladies. We are. But uh, actually, it wasn't that long ago that there were none of these things around. And because of that, our lives were really different. And with the introduction of these gadgets, we lost one of the most treasured holiday vacation traditions. You see, back in the day, there were certain expectations when we went on our annual holiday, especially for me growing up in the UK. The first expectation was that it was always going to rain, always going to rain, but nevertheless, you had to sit on the beach. Uh, seriously, this is, this is part of what we do. And we sit on the beach and pretend that we're actually having a good time. That's the first expectation, uh, even on wet and windy days. Another expectation of a holiday in the UK with me was that we would stuff ourselves silly with candy floss, ice cream, and fish and chips. That's what you did. You just were, you ate it until you were sick. And then, of course, there was the third expectation, the most burdensome expectation of them all, which was sending postcards 
to your family and friends. Because back then, you see, one of the last things you heard from your family and your neighbors as you went off on holiday, they would shout after you, don't forget to send us a postcard. How times have changed. It's one of those holiday traditions, isn't it? And so the first thing that we have to do when you arrive at your holiday destination at your seaside resort is that you have to buy copious amounts of postcards because you cannot miss anyone out. Auntie Flo has to get one, otherwise she'll be really annoyed. And then what you do is you fret throughout the whole week. I still haven't written all the postcards. Still haven't written all of those postcards. And then what happens is, of course, you get to the last day. And you frantically write them and post them. And they arrive two weeks after you've got back home and you've told everyone about your holiday. But it doesn't matter. Everyone's still got a postcard. And we, we sent postcards generally to tell our friends what a great time we're having. But you see, writing postcards wasn't just a random endeavor. There was such a thing as postcard etiquette. Postcard etiquette, if strictly observed, meant that the postcard would have to have three main characteristics. They needed to be short, to fit onto the postcard, but contain a concise itinerary of what you've done and where you've been. And lastly, they have to end with the words, wish you were here. Because you wanted that person that you're writing to, to share the experience with you. And you wanted them at some level to connect with you. But alas, the postcard is a thing of the past. Except here at City View. We are the church that embraces the past and the dinosaurs that live here. Hey, Phil. August at City View is a different time. We do things differently in August because it's a time when we try to rest and reflect. Uh, and it's a time when we step back from the normal routines that we do and recover and recharge and get a sense of what God has been doing, what he is doing, and what he will be doing here at City View. And it's during August that some of us get to deliver postcards. Not the physical ones, but spiritual postcards. We get to hear from people about where they've been where they are, and possibly where maybe they're heading in their spiritual journey. We hear what God has been doing in their lives. We hear how God has and is moving in their lives. To hear about how Jesus has walked with them during the ups and the downs of life. Maybe even sometimes to hear of how they're searching for Jesus at this moment. Um, 
wondering maybe where he is. It's a time of honesty. And it's a time of tears and laughter. And it's a time when we connect with each other at a much, much deeper level. And I know that it's a time that you appreciate. Everyone says to me, I've so enjoyed that time in August where people could share their postcards. And I know you look forward to it each year. And this year will be no different. Over the next four weeks, you will hear from four women. Four women that have four different stories to share. Four women who are at different stages of their lives. But each one has a testimony. Each one has a story to tell about what God is doing, has done, and will do in their lives. The first postcard this morning is from someone who, to be honest, has been through enough over the last few years to last a lifetime. If this were an actual postcard, there would seriously not be enough room to put everything on there. But through all that this uh, wonderful lady has gone through, there's one phrase that sticks in my mind. She always says, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. So I want to welcome Daphne. Daphne, why don't you come up and share? Uh, Do you want to use the microphone up there and... uh, Okay. Talking about iPads, I was terrified this morning because um, my notes didn't show up on my phone. <laughs> Good thing they showed. Praise God, it showed up on my iPad. So here it is. Um, So two years ago, I was privileged to be able to share here on a postcard about some challenges I faced, some health challenges I faced. Um, I had a tumor in my spinal cord. Uh, Not a nice place for my tumor, really. Today, um, I want to share with you about my ongoing struggles since that time and the blessings that God has given me through them. So from my last postcard, I won't bore you with all the details because there were a lot. Um, I was diagnosed with a tumor in January 2017. By the time they saw it, it was quite big, and uh, they needed to do surgery as soon as possible. So in February, two weeks later, I I underwent surgery to remove the tumor. In May that same year, I started rehab uh, with a physiotherapist and a kinesiologist. Thinking all was well, by the end of August, I restarted work on a graduated basis, starting with a few hours a day, a couple times a week, and then slowly gradually. The idea was to move me toward my usual number of hours. So when I, re- when I shared last time, I hadn't yet restarted work, and I was so happy to go back to work. I was on cloud nine. I was so happy, which sounds a little weird maybe to some of you that anybody would love their job that much but I did. Um, so um, it, was, it was exciting to be going back to work. Um, 
But while my intellectual and emotional sides were really psyched, super psyched to be going back to work, my physical body didn't do so well. And I was told at first that this is normal, you know, things take time, you kind of get, takes time to get back into the usual run-of-the-mill things, and my body would get used to the hours of standing and sitting and walking and other activities. Um, I work at the hospital, so um, a lot of hours uh, standing and sitting for sure. Um, so prior to my tumor, I was relatively active. I would walk the five flights of stairs multiple times a day to go to my office. I walked every day, almost every day, for 30 minutes during my lunch hour, and just busy with the kids and with my family and things like that, and skated and skied and all these things. But then, (laughs) while I tried to believe that my body would get used to things and life would go back to a pre-tumor state, it didn't quite go as planned. I was having pain every day, um, and it escalated with the number of hours I was working. And I tried to push through, you know, it's typical type A personality, fighting, ignoring my body signals and, until it screamed for attention and I collapsed on the floor. Um, my boss tried to increase my hours more slowly, give me work that requires less walking around because walking and stopping and pivoting, things you take for granted when everything's going well, just causes an enormous amount of problems. Um, and we were filling out paperwork daily, rating how well I was doing. And for over seven months, I was at that graduate back-to-work basis. Not a single week goes by when I didn't have some significant struggle or flare-ups. And I keep pushing, thinking if I, I could trick my brain if I could just keep trying. And then I found out I couldn't take one of my rescue medications at work, my rescue pain medications at work. I survived on naproxen. Some of you who know what that is, an inflammatory, anti-inflammatory medication very similar to Advil. And I couldn't wait to get home to get my next dose of my rescue medication that I wasn't allowed to take, the hydromorphone. Um, I developed, but then I developed severe stomach pains and colitis. I was having diarrhea and all this stuff. And it was related to the naproxen, so I had to stop. So for two weeks, I went without any pain medication while working. Um, yeah, six hours a day, three days a week. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, and, but I was silly enough and dumb enough to want to keep going. I don't know. Some, I should maybe have my brain examined. And my boss has had enough of seeing me in pain every day, and he put a stop to it. He said to me, he called me to his office, and he said to me, you work six hours here, and then all you can do is get home, take your meds, and lie down. You can't cook. You can't play with your kids. You have no energy for your family, even on your off days, because you spend your off days recovering from your work days. The best time of your life, the best time of your day, should be with your family, not at work. Could you believe my boss said that? (laughs) He said, I can't allow this to go on. And then he said to me, it's not your fault. He says, you were not ready And long-term disability pushed you back too soon. And he said, I've discussed it it with leadership, and we agreed that you need to go home and get better. And he said to me again, it's not your fault. 
Now that sounds like a great exit speech from my boss, doesn't it? And it was, and I needed to hear that. But I've never felt more like a failure at that moment. Part of me was relieved that I could take my pain medication whenever I want. In case any of you thought I sound like an addict, I did. Um, (laughs) But I walked out of there and I felt lost. And with those feelings of failure and loss came shame and guilt, confusion, emptiness, and depression. I missed my coworkers, I missed my patients, I missed my friends. I thought I lost the mission field that God has given me, that God has prepared me for. Um, I didn't measure up. I'm not good enough. And even though I wasn't working, I still struggled to have energy to do any chores or any activities with the kids. I was so fatigued all the time. I struggled to even drive to pick up the kids from school every day. Somehow I lost my focus in all of this. I, it was one thing to have acute pain that expectedly goes away after surgery or treatment or whatever. And it's another to look down this road of endless days of pain that might never end. And it drains the colors out of everything beautiful. It ticks the song from my lips. It takes pleasure out of anything pleasurable or desirable. The world was gray and black. I couldn't worship. I couldn't pray. I couldn't give thanks. And pain took up bigger and bigger portions of my life. And the pain was different. There was more weakness. There's more spasms, there's more burning cold in my foot, there's more problems with balance over time. And I was becoming more and more disabled. And at the time, I had, what I would, had failed to see was how all these negative, shameful, guilt-ridden, gut-wrenching experiences could later allow me to be helpful to someone who was going through it. Um, despite how I felt, my pain specialist was glad to hear I was off work. While he supported me in my determination to make working work, he was genuinely enthusiastic to start other treatments for me. So he started with adding some morning meds that I wasn't able to take before because of drowsiness. And then he referred me to a pain counselor who was this wonderful Muslim lady. Wonderful, I mean incredibly incredibly patient, who also suffered from chronic pain, so she really understood what it felt like. And we started cognitive behavioral therapy. At first, I was impatient with it. We spent weeks on pacing. Do you guys know what pacing means? Oh, my goodness. It means you have to slow down. And I don't pace well. 
I've never paced well. I was supposed to half my activities from the limited state they were already in. Somehow, I'm supposed to cross this off and cross that off, and all these things I saw were essential. And I couldn't let them go. And seeing how I struggled, she wanted me to try to practice listening to my body. Oh, my goodness. I spent months shutting my brain off from all the complaints in my body, and now I'm supposed to unlearn that? I just, I was frustrated and disbelieving that it could be of any help. Um, how could this do anything for pain control? How could listening to my body complain help me with pain? Wouldn't it just be more painful? Like, right? Common sense? And it was strangely not until this pain counselor and I changed gears and discussed, started discussing how important our faith in our lives were that I saw my mistake. I did not integrate God into the cognitive behavioral therapy. I left, I walked into, I walked into my meet, our meetings with God outside. And I, every time I tried to practice pacing and listening to my body, I shut God out. You would think that after everything I've been through, I'd learn by now not to do that. And God used this lovely counselor, Muslim lady, to remind me to trust him even with this. That even though I couldn't understand, he was using this time to help me grow, to grow the fruit of the Spirit in me. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I needed to learn to love myself again. I needed to find joy, even in pain. I needed to surround myself in his peace. I needed patience to learn these new self-management skills, to learn patience for my, for, patience for my impatience, for patience with my impatience. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I needed to be kind to others, and more importantly, to be kind to myself. I needed to see goodness in all the circumstances that God puts me in. I needed to walk faithfully and closely with God and faithfully seek his ways. I needed to learn gentleness in a new way. That is a strength under control, power rightly channeled in productive ways. I need to learn how God wants me to use it. I need to learn self-control in order to do this pacing business. When, I, when we accepted God's gift of mercy and grace, the Holy Spirit enters us. I don't know whether it's correct, I'm not a theologian, but I think of the Holy Spirit as the plant from which the fruit grows. And the fertilizer is challenges in our lives. What am I choosing to do to grow the fruit? What are my actions in times of challenges? I was learning, learning again, that... I have to stop listening to and believe in the talk of the devil and to start listening and believing God every moment. Even if it looks like I'm moving further away, the beginning of it all is trusting him. In Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to, 7 to 8, it reads, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes in. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. I started with praying for his help. I needed so much of Jesus. I wanted to sink into this pool of his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his strength, his power, his love. I just want to drown in it. And in order for me to love myself again, I had to remember what Jesus saved me from, and how he saved me. In order for me to find joy in my pain, I had to remember that pain is a gift. And counting his blessings became one of the central parts of my pain management. In order for me to surround myself with peace, I spent hours listening to Christian podcasts, reading the Bible, meditating, and spending time with him. In order for me to learn patience, I had to learn the reason why and how these pain management skills work. I had to look into science. I'm sorry, I'm a pharmacist. What do you do? You can't unlearn these years of practice. And I enrolled myself in, and completed a course, um, a pain foundations course for healthcare professionals, so that I can actually see the science and see how all of it come together. And then I have to practice these skills, patiently trying again and again to test what works in what circumstances. In order for me to be more kind to myself and others, I need to remember the power of kindness. In order for me to see God's goodness in my circumstances, I remembered how God has been good to me, and I pray for Him to open my open my eyes to see how He's good to me and my family through the present circumstances. In order for me to walk faithfully and closely with God and faithfully seek His ways, I have to practice leaning in and remembering His promises to me. In order for me to learn gentleness. As power under control, I prayed to God to help me understand His gentleness toward me, and help me practice gentleness with others. And finally, I learned to pace. Not every week, and certainly not well this week, um, but only by God's grace and with heaps of encouragement and reminders by my husband, my family, my friends. And by no means have I arrived. But the more time I spent with God, the more I'm seeing all these attributes of God and how He's blessed me. It doesn't mean I have no pain because having chronic pain means I'm I'm at least in some pain every day and pretty much every moment. It doesn't mean. Oh, sorry. I still struggle with chores most days. I still can't ski or hike or skate or even run. Um. But gradually, have I'm in a better physical, emotional, and spiritual place. Um, all because God is not shut out any of this anymore, and I'm so grateful for family and friends who've been supporting me and praying for me. And then, when I was ready, God introduced me to a new friend, a girl who's been in severe pain all her life due to sickle cell disease. She's young. Studying her bachelor for her bachelor degree in university, and when I first met her, she was in the ER for the umpteenth time for severe pain. She's Christian, and in her pain, she questions why she should go on living, on what purpose in life, and what her purpose in life was. 
And I could completely understand where she was only because I've been there. Looking back at my career as a clinical pharmacist, I have no shortage of patients with chronic pain. And it wasn't until I've, fi- I've experienced it that I finally could understand what it was like and why it caused so much havoc in every aspect of their lives. And in fact, drive some of them away from relationships and into destructive behaviors. In order for me to be of any help to someone with chronic pain, I had to live it. And in living it, I am blessed. I pray that this friend and I, and I pray that all of us, all of you, would be like that tree planted by the water. And as we travel down this life, no matter the heat or drought, we would always lean into the Lord and trust in him. And we would be green and never fail to bear fruit. I wouldn't wish you were here. That's probably not a good idea. reminded me, you know of that passage in Genesis 32, you know when uh, that amazing story where we read about Jacob wrestling with God, do you remember that? He wrestles with God, he struggles with God all night in order for God to give him a blessing. So it's, a, it's one of those weird stories and yet wonderful stories about he needed to know the blessing of God. And the great thing about that story is that it goes against the grain for many of us because we don't associate blessings with struggles. You know, we, we, for many of us, we see God as a holy ATM. <laughs> you know, we turn up and... Uh, when we want, and we put in our religious card and expect God to just dole out blessings on request. Uh, You know, blessings that make our lives more comfortable. And when they don't appear, I put the card in, when they don't appear, and maybe we end up struggling more, then how do we think? We believe that God is actually not there. Or God is actually against us. I can't believe in a God like that. But that's such a shallow understanding. And and as Daphne has illustrated, that nothing could be further from the truth. Because it's often in our very struggles, in our wrestling with God and our faith, that actually we find God's blessing. 
You see, notice that Jacob, he's not wrestling uh, and struggling with himself in this story. He struggles with God. He's wrestling with God. Which means that God is not absent in the struggles. He's there with you as you wrestle, as you struggle. And, and as Daphne reminds us of the truth that, that God doesn't abandon us in our struggles, in the tough times. God is always there in our personal struggles of, amidst our pain and that frustration. When is this pain going to end? And I often think of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that, obviously, that story. Because Jesus is wrestling with God in the garden, isn't he? He's saying, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. Lord, it's going to be painful. And I really don't want it. And he's wrestling and he's wrestling. And then eventually he gets to the point where he says, okay, your will, not mine, be done. You see, Jesus went through the struggles. He went to the cross, but he rose from the dead. He had to go through the struggles. He had to go through the cross to receive the blessing. And it's this that gives Daphne hope. It's this that gives us hope in the midst of our chaos. It's the hope that reminds us that God's there that, and he continues to love us and carry us and bless us even when we don't understand what's going on. The last thing I want you to notice about the story of Jacob wrestling with God. You, if you know that story, we read that Jacob is touched by God on the hip and he's left with a limp for the rest of his life. He limps. His hip is touched by God and it's injured. And that never heals for Jacob. It never heals. But do you see that his limp was not just a reminder of the struggle. It was also a reminder to Jacob of the blessing that he received. And that's the great thing about Daphne's postcard. She's still limping. <laughs> but that limp isn't just a sign of her struggle. And it isn't just a sign that God's left her. That limp is a sign of God's blessing through and in the struggles that you're going through. It's a sign to you, not of the pain, but of the blessing in a weird way. In a way that only God knows. So I, I hope that some of what Daphne said resonated with some of you this morning. And, and you know, if you're struggling, if you're struggling physically, maybe some of you might be struggling mentally, emotionally, spiritually maybe, financially. I, I don't know what it is. But then you need to know that your struggles are not meaningless. They're not futile. God is with you in those struggles. And you need 
to see as Daphne did. She had to go through the struggles in order to see the blessing. And the great thing is, it's not just a blessing for you. Daphne is a blessing to her friend who's going through this. And I would suggest that Daphne is a blessing to us all who have heard her story this morning. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Let's pray. I just want to give you each a moment to just rest in God. He's here by His Spirit. We know that. Sometimes, like Daphne was doing, we, we strive and we try. And when we fail, we think we're a failure. We're not good enough. But all God wants us to do during those times of struggle is to surrender. To rest in Him. Maybe that's what some of us need to do in response to what we've heard this morning is just to stop striving and rest in the God who loves us. Father, you don't promise a life free of troubles. You don't promise we health and wealth for each one of us. You don't promise that we won't go through struggles, deep struggles, painful struggles. But you do promise that you will be with us during those times. And you do promise that you will bless us through and in our struggles. So, Father, I pray for those of us this morning that are feeling weighed down, those of us who are feeling pain, physical, emotional, whatever. Lord, will you allow us to rest in you? Would you allow us to, to struggle with you? Would you allow us to see the blessing through the struggles? And Lord, even if we end up with a limp, may that limp remind us that God blesses His children. And He is good. <laughs>